In a world where chronic DVD and Blu-ray acquisition disorder runs amok, Colin faces a daunting task. With a collection of over 1,200 titles, can he bring himself to watch the 65 films that sit on his shelves, unwatched, unloved, and still under wraps? Hello and welcome to Still Under Wraps. My name is Colin and with me as always is my fellow film watcher, compadre and son, Thomas. How are you, Thomas? Oh, I'm all right. Thomas does have an announcement to make about today's episode. Still Under Wraps is filmed in front of a live studio audience. Yes, an audience which includes cats and other uh, assorted family members. Oh, we just heard a yay. Let, let's hear it from the crowd. Woo, yay! Okay. Okay, we, we said assorted family members, but there is one. Um, another thing that I'd like to point out is that we are experimenting with a new mic for Thomas. The one that we have been using has been giving all manner of problems. So I've dragged this one out of the cupboard and it will give us probably different... Uh, yes. So uh, fortunately, uh, seems to be physically um, reasonable. It's not tilting away or towards me. However, it is ultra sensitive and may peak like crazy. Pe- mm. Peaking is a uh, recording term that I'm using very professionally, meaning that the uh, the sound level goes beyond the capabilities of the microphone and therefore chops off the sound, at uh, top of the sound, and it makes a horrible noise. Mm. Anyway, let's get into today's episode. I keep on going to say tonight. We are actually recording in tonight. But mm. uh, for our international audience, of which there are many, we shall continue to say today and... Uh, and for also those, tonight. <laughs> this morning on Still Under Wraps. A little bit of background for those of you who are unaware. The name Still Under Wraps refers to the fact that I collect DVDs and Blu-rays for family use and personal use. Uh, collect so many that there are a number of them that are still sitting on the shelf unwatched, unloved, and still under wraps. They still have their cellophane wrapped around them, and I'm making a concerted effort to get through and actually watch them. And then what do we do? Uh, we, we, we talk about them. We talk about them, and then we make a decision as to whether they... Come on, audience, stay, stay, on, stay the on the shelf. shelf. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This may be the one and only time we attempt to have a studio audience of, of one. Um, uh, next week, we will be recording in uh, the town hall. Yes. yes. Uh, we'll create a Facebook event and mm. uh, invite everyone to the town hall. I haven't mentioned which town it will be in, but some town hall somewhere. Um, no, we won't. No, we- Perf, which one? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Our audience is just having hysterics over there, hardly containing their laughter. Okay. So, a film that has been sitting on the shelf for a little while now, uh, but not too long, 
Thomas, can you tell us about the movie we're going to be watching? This is the film Lion from 2016. A five-year-old boy named Saru gets lost on a train which takes him thousands of kilometres across India, away from his home and family. He must learn to survive alone in Kolkata, before ultimately being adopted by an Australian couple. 25 years later, and with only a handful of memories, his unwavering determination, and a revolutionary technology known as Google Earth, Saruf sets out to find his lost family and finally return to his first home. This film, probably in the stack of films we've already watched, is certainly the holder of the most uh, award nominations. It's got gazillions of them, Mm. almost as many as I Have Children. It's going to be a running gag, this Mm. number of children. It's Academy Award nominations, uh, didn't win any of those. Uh. British BAFTA, Screen Actors Guild... AACTA, ASCAP, numerous. Oh, this this was the one that I found interesting. It uh, received a nomination for the Saturn Award for, for the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy and Horror Films, USA. Huh. Don't know. Um, possibly there is an alien um, abduction scene, maybe? I, I, I doubt. So do I. So uh, what we will do then is... Thomas, would you... (laughs) The the, the list of accolades is so long that it has its own Wikipedia page. For the accolades? Yes, just for the accolades. Okay. Uh, Just to prove to our studio audience and to you out there in podcast land, Thomas is going to prove that this film is at the moment still under wraps but soon won't be. I I wish you were here because uh, the audience is just in awe of this this slow, momentous event. Yes, it's it's out, and he'll pass me the cellophane to... There we go. Cellophane is off, and the opening of the case. So... We, we do have a question to ask here. This, this particular edition is, is on two discs. Yes. And each of these discs has the film on it. One of those films is the extended Australian edition. Oh, so you're asking which one do we watch? Which, which one are we watching? Oh, here? look, um, I say any film that has uh, as much Hobart in it as it possibly could our home city is mm. is probably the better option. Mm. What do you reckon? I, or should we watch the edition that everybody else has watched with slightly less Hobart in it? Ooh, it's a toughie. Oh, okay, how about we watch the international edition then? Yes. All right, yes. because it's probably shorter and we are pressed for time. Extended <laughs> is a word that has meaning. It, it, it is, and not always is an extended edition the better vi- version so so we shall watch the international edition the standard shown all over the world edition and we'll pop it in the machine and catch you on the flip side bye
I uh, glad I watched that. Hmm. Yes. Good. <laughs> <laughs> it was long. Yes, it was. Um, y- yes, I'm glad we watched the international version and not the yep. 12 minute longer uh, Australian cut. I, I can't see where uh, 12 minutes would have added to the story, but uh, um, based on a true story mm-hmm. and a moving one at that, Yep. gut-wrenching and <laughs> hence the reason it uh, stayed wrapped mm. because I knew that it was going to be a bit like that. A happy, sad, gut-wrenching, happy movie. Yes. Great little actors uh, in yep. the, the, the children. And acting all around was very good. Yep. Music was great. Our studio audience is looking at uh, the responses being given by Thomas. And uh, he's a man of few words, but deep and meaningful words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we should advertise the uh, LP that we'll be releasing soon of Deep and Meaningful Thomas Comments. Mm, yes. Okay. Cinematography was great. Yep. One of those occasions, however, where drone use takes you out of the movie. Really? Yeah. Yeah, look, I I, I found it overused. And, and maybe I'm being harsh and maybe they were using that with the concept of so much Google Earth imagery from above mm. the, the the drone use was also emphasizing the the view from above but yeah i i don't know it was i don't know i'm just talking out of my hat i guess uh-huh. um <laughs> it's the audience see we're not used to performing in front of a live studio audience and of, of more than a cat more than a cat who uh, the studio audience throughout the entire film uh, managed to distract the cat, and so the cat is now exhausted. But we were, in turn, distracted by the cat. Yes, that's right. Taken out of the movie, but... Uh, anything you, you want to say about the film? I, I don't have a lot to add, but I would like to draw attention to the fact that during the credits, the Australian and Indian units were listed simultaneously, side by side. Yes, that was... I think I subconsciously noticed that, mm. but you were obviously more astute. And, uh, and and the filming... Actually, it was interesting because while you were saying that, I was thinking about this, uh, another thing that I noticed with the filming. A lot of the Australian shots were shot with very shallow focus so that backgrounds were out of focus, the characters are in focus, and anything mm. in front of the characters were also out of focus. Um, whereas the Indian shots, and they, they would cut between them quite often, juxtaposing, I mm. guess, again... But as far as the camera shots from India, that happened far less frequently, the the shallow depth of field. It was a, a much deeper depth of field. I don't know whether that was consciously done or whether it was... If it was consciously done, I think it would be to draw attention to the importance of memory of location yes. to the film. 
it was interesting to note also the number of times and the number of events that Saru managed to avoid. Now, I know it was based on a true story, so I, I don't know how much was fact and how much was fiction as far as what they were portraying him as going through whilst in India, but I get the feeling that... Uh, there, there, there are a few adaptational differences, but the basic through line is the same, yes. Yep. Yeah, um, I mean, there were, there were so many times whilst in India where his life was very definitely at risk, you know, living on the streets, being taken under the, the wing of someone who was obviously uh, there to prostitute the child and mm. the streets themselves, the traffic. the It was, yeah, quite horrific. And, and so... Again, you see that contrast with when he arrives in Tasmania and do we have spoilers here? <laughs> this is a spoiler break, so if you don't want spoilers, then leave before this sound. Sure, spoilers for real-life events. Yes, and suddenly, you know, he's exposed to all these amazingly wonderful contrast of life. Mm. Um, you know, growing up sailing with the adopted family um, mm. and marvellous views and, and a fridge full of food and, t you know, the television and the, the lounge room being larger than the house mm. that he grew up in. Um I don't know what else to say about that, but definitely staying on the shelf. Yep. Yes. Quite a beautiful film. And sad, as I mentioned before. <laughs> yes. All right. So, I guess that brings us to... What's on the shelf? You know it's probably DVDs. But what's really cool, because we have a studio audience today, is that we are going to get our studio audience to... Call out a number between... Okay, so we're looking for a number between one and seven. Four. Four. Okay. Jeff suggests Spider-Man 3. Spider-Man 3. Obscurely three, as opposed to one or two. Yes. Number three in the series of the Raimi series of mm. Spider-Man films. Quest Raimi? Raimi? Yes. Quest yes. Question one. Is it on the shelf? It is on the shelf. I mean, yes. because one and two are on the shelf. Mm. Um, he didn't ask that, but uh, it is interesting that he's picked number three um, because traditionally one considers number three the weakest of the three. Mm. I don't know, because I can't remember whether you have seen it or not. Now, that, that, that's interesting. I, I know that you've seen it. I've certainly seen it, so that's two points for Jeff. I know that a studio audience, I believe, has also seen it, possibly. No. I don't know. But, but I know that somebody else has definitely seen it, but I have not seen it. I was not in the room. I believe that we started actually watching it together, as in one and two, and then mm. something happened, probably this aversion to watching number three, <laughs> possibly. Yes. 
Uh, so Thomas has not seen number three. I have seen number three. It is on the shelf. But is it a Blu-ray now? No, it is certainly no. not a Blu-ray. None of that series has converted over. To be perfectly honest, we did have a, an agreement, Wendy and I, that one shouldn't just go out and replace the entire what's on the shelf mm. with Blu-rays. And to a great extent, that has held true, except for the ones that haven't. Mm, so that's yes. where you get you really get the bonus because I, I have been fairly faithful in that commitment. Most of the Blu-ray conversions that we've mentioned before have been given to me mm. and I've handed on my DVD collection. So, But no, that has not been converted over to Blu-ray. So that still leaves Jeff at two. Yes. And I don't think we're going to apply any multiplier whatsoever. No, we are. We're going to multiply it by a 1.1. Just to annoy Thomas, uh, because of the fact that uh, I, I see where Jeff was coming from. He was going for the bonus, and he probably deserves a bonus of sorts. Mm. Because a bonus which drags him into second. Into second, with a total of... 2.2. 2.2. Now, speaking of bonuses, uh, we have a, a wildcard bonus that is going to one of our listeners, Gillian. Gillian was the first to contact me to point out the Easter egg that I placed in Grave of the Fireflies. Mm -hmm. The drum roll when the next movie gets selected wasn't actually used to select the movie. So it shouldn't have been in the podcast at all, but it was in mm. a random place in the podcast. Oh. Yes. I had that soundtrack on mute whilst I was editing everything else right. out. Moved everything else into place. But because we didn't have the drum roll needed, because we'd already selected right. what movie we were going to have, the drum roll remained in its spot from the previous podcast that I right. edited up. And when I turned that track on with all of the intros and what have you, the drum roll occurred at, I believe, a somewhat somber point in the podcast. Oh, dear. I know. Um, but Gillian gets a, a two-point score <laughs> for uh, pointing that out, for being the one to point that out. And everyone else, all of our hundreds of listeners, including our studio audience who doesn't listen, um, uh, didn't point it out. So Gillian def definitely gets a, a two-point bonus and is now on... Uh, equal third. Equal third on the leaderboard. Anyway, enough of that. Well done, Jeff. Well done, Gillian. Let's move on and wrap the this thing up with... Shake the phone and pick a film, and then we'll watch the film next week. Okay, and what we're going to do tonight, again, we're going to use our studio audience to... I'm taking this task away from, oh, no. from Thomas. I know. How cruel of me. Um, our studio I, audience... I is, treasured this moment. Oh, okay. Oh, no, we won't. We won't I, do I did, that. I, I, it's okay. It's, it's okay. okay. Okay, what? Uh, but this could be really dangerous because she might select one that could be 
dangerous. So, oh. but we'll invite our studio audience up to uh, give the phone a shake and select what the movie for next week is going to be. So I'm handing over the and phone. quickly before it goes to sleep. Oh boy, a bit of Hemsworth happening here. Oh. And a bit of Josh Hutchison. Yeah, you should be able to tell what movie it is from no, just those no, two no, names. No, I can't. Okay, it is actually the 2012 remake or reimagining of the movie Red Dawn. Would you like to read the description? Sure. Let's, let's have that. There we it go. starts with the word Spokane. Spokane, Washington. The city awakens to the surreal sight of foreign paratroopers dropping from the sky. Unbelievably, the US has been invaded by North Korea and Spokane is the initial target. Quickly and without warning, the citizens find themselves prisoners and their city under enemy occupation. Determined to fight back, a group of young patriots seek refuge in the surrounding woods, training and reorganising themselves into a guerrilla group of fighters. Taking inspiration from their high school mascot, they call themselves the Wolverines, banding together to protect one another, liberate their town from its captors, and take back their freedom. So I do have a soft spot for the Patrick Swayze original, which was made in... 1984. Which was made in 1984, um, which was the year I was in, uh, year 10. And so I was the target audience, uh, except Mm. that I wasn't in America. Mm. And we didn't have the red fear, I guess, would be mm. the uh, quite quite to that level. I mean, I, I grew up very much, uh, I think I mentioned before in a previous podcast, uh, sort of uh, the end of the Cold War, um, but in a, a time where things were very much escalating. Somewhere in a bookcase somewhere, I have a Australian civil defence booklet that instructs how to how Australians can build air raid shelters in their backyard so it, it was very real then the red peril was very real but I, I think the level at which the Americans were feeling it uh, was higher mm. so I'd be interested to see um, the, the main reason I have put off watching this one is that I'm scared that it will just not have that nostalgic feel to it. Mm. Anyway, um, so Red Dawn, the 2012 edition, is next week. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to our studio audience. Woohoo! I'll um, ed- edit <laughs> out the... Enthusiastic as always. <laughs> I'll edit out the space between me saying the studio audience and the wahoo. It was quite a significant quite, quite gap. a long one. So, uh, It'll be easy to spot in the audio edit. It will. There will be just this dead <laughs> silence. All right. Uh, thank you, studio audience, and thank you, uh, one and all. Thank you, Thomas. You're welcome. Thank me. Okay. No, thank me. Thank you. Oh, look, you're welcome. And uh, as always, uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye.